No Gray Zone podcast is a frank and honest conversation on topics related to sexual abuse, harassment, child exploitation, and domestic and workplace violence. The opinions are our own, based on years of experience as special victims prosecutors. Any study, book, or product we mention is based on our own review and are not sponsored. Links and titles can be found in the podcast notes. You can also learn more at rightresponseconsulting.com. Listener discretion is advised. I'm just good at caring too much. I'm just good at caring too much. Is it too much to ask that you be all mine? I never was good at sharing. I'm just good at caring. Welcome back. I'm Katherine Marsh. And I'm Melissa Hotmeyer, and this is No Gray Zone Podcast. Well, today we start a new series on sexual assault investigations. So during this series, we're going to focus on how sexual assault investigations come together, how law enforcement collects evidence, we're going to cover sexual assault exams, we're going to get into trials and the tribulations that come with a sexual assault prosecution. We're really excited about this new series. And we hope it's going to be an eye-opening few weeks. Sexual assault cases are unique for many reasons. This week, we're going to talk about the investigations in general and best practices, and specifically what happens when sexual assaults are reported to law enforcement. And we know that every state and every jurisdiction has its own nuances and differences based on what the law is, as well as the practice. But we're going to try and cover what it takes to conduct a great investigation into sexual assault. So first, it's kind of important, I think, to get a frame of reference. So how prevalent is the problem of sexual assault in this country? A lot more prevalent than anybody would think. According to Rain, every 73 seconds, an individual is sexually assaulted in this country, and that accounts for approximately 433,648 victims of sexual assault a year. Yeah, and what's worse is that of those 433,648 victims, only one out of every four of them report their sexual assault to the police. In terms of numbers, for every 1,000 rapes that get that happen in this country, only 230 of them are reported to the police. And while we really want to get that number up, the statistics really don't get that much better from those cases that are reported. Of the 230 that are reported to police, only 46 lead to arrest. And of those 46, nine get referred for prosecution. And only about six out of every thousand rapes will lead to a felony conviction and incarceration. You know, Catherine, we say these numbers all the time um, during our trainings. And, you know, I know them, but they never get easier to hear. And so when we talk about investigations and we talk about best practices, you know, what we're really looking to do is increase these rates, increase the rates of prosecutions, of convictions, um, so that we can help bring justice for these survivors of sexual assault. Absolutely. We want to take away the onus on the victim and put it where it belongs on the perpetrator. And to do that, we need to make sure that in the criminal justice field, we're doing things correctly. The National District Attorneys Association has a women's prosecutor section, and they published a best practices manual for a multidisciplinary trauma-informed approach to sexual assault investigations. And we'll put a link to that in the notes. 
Yeah, and what that really means is that law enforcement or the police, you know, and prosecutors and victim services all work together when a report of sexual assault comes in. And they do it in a way that recognizes that sexual assault is a traumatic event and that that trauma that the survivor has experienced might affect the way that they remember events or react to the assault or even react to the law enforcement officers or the, the hospital workers. And it may seem like a no-brainer to understand that sexual assault is a traumatic event, but in all honesty, it's only been in the last couple of years that we've begun learning how much trauma can impact the memory and how a victim can recall details to how a victim may even act on scene. As prosecutors, we've had to relearn how we do things and we need to work on training our law enforcement because Although, like I said, it seems to be a no-brainer, it's still new how much of the science we're learning. So let's break it down. The law enforcement are the individuals who are tasked with investigating the allegations of the sexual assault. They're typically the ones who are going to do the interview of the victim, any potential witnesses. They will direct for the collection of evidence, which could include physical evidence, like the clothing a victim or the perpetrator was wearing, bed sheets, items from a vehicle, to forensic evidence, anything that could potentially have DNA evidence or corroborate the victim's story. So this could include blood evidence, ejaculation evidence if it's there. We've had cases that have had vomit. There's a variety of forensic evidence that can be collected, as well as digital evidence. Digital evidence is basically the new standard in all forms of investigation. So this can be cell phones, this can be computers, this can be GPS data. It's basically... Anything that can connect to the internet is a piece of evidence. And law enforcement also will generally try to get an interview from the suspect. But our police are not trained, and nor should they be the ones, to actually assist the victim in dealing with the actual trauma and the counseling and treatment that's necessary for that, which is why this multidisciplinary approach is so important. So what should happen when a survivor calls 911 or reports the sexual assault is that the police immediately contact a victim advocate as well as the hospital and the prosecutor. This gets everyone working together from the very beginning towards a common goal. The police will take the statement. The victim advocate will connect the victim to the necessary or needed services. Hospitals will complete the medical and sexual assault exams. And the prosecutor can help direct all three to ensure a successful prosecution. Yeah, and we definitely love the team approach. And it's not only because the NDAA says it's helpful. You know, we know through our practice that it actually is helpful, that it actually works. And when I think about, you know, the multidiscipline approach, I think, you know, my mind immediately goes to this one case that I had a few years ago that involved the brutal sexual assault and kidnapping of a seven-year-old woman. And, you know, I can tell you that she is probably one of the strongest survivors I have ever met, smartest. (laughs) She was able to trick uh, the defendant into letting her out of the car so that she could memorize his license plate. And that this was even after the, the sexual assault. After she escaped her rapist, her son brought her to the hospital to get checked checked out because she was pretty badly beaten um, and was bleeding pretty heavily as well as having been sexually assaulted. So when she got to the hospital and reported that she had been sexually assaulted, the forensic nurses started treating her, but they also immediately called the police. And the police, upon learning this, immediately called me. And we were all working together from from the beginning. Forensic nurses were 
treating her injuries to make sure she was medically okay. Obviously, you know, that was our number one priority, but they were also documenting her injuries. They were getting a forensic examination done. We're going to talk more about that next week. Police were getting initial statements from her, and then we were able to kind of come together, the police and I, to talk about possible other evidence, other physical evidence that would be able to collect, other surveillance evidence. I know Catherine talked about surveillance and digital evidence a little bit before, and we were able to get really good witness statements who had seen her before, people who had seen her afterwards, and we came up with you know a good game plan. We were able to recover some really important surveillance that shows the kidnapping, as well as recover the car that had DNA evidence in it that was linked to the victim, and came up with a really strong case. And what's really the most important part is that after this was all over, after the case was charged and we spoke to the victim, first thing she said to us was how safe she felt within the process because she knew she had a team that had her best interest, that was making sure that she got connected to services, that she got treated medically, and who got this perpetrator off the street in a really short amount of time. And with the evidence we were able to collect, you know, we had a really solid case against this defendant. And that would not have happened if we hadn't all worked together. Which is exactly how it should happen and how we want every case to happen. And Unfortunately, oftentimes it doesn't work that way. I can tell you about a case I had actually just this year where law enforcement didn't even contact me until a month and a half after the sexual assault occurred. The officer was new to the unit, didn't have a lot of practices in sexual assault, and didn't know a lot of things to be doing. And so at the point that they're screening the case with me and I'm asking about, did you send the preservation letters to the phone companies? Were you able to check for the license plate readers? Were you able to do a court order for this information, and they hadn't done any. And at that point in time, there was a lot of evidence that was lost that would never be able to recover. We don't have the strong case that the survivor deserves. Yeah, you know, you're exactly right. And honestly, when cases don't work, when we don't work together, no one wins. You know, the the, the survivor doesn't win, the community doesn't win. And I know we're going to sound like broken records because we think we say it every week, but the only way to change it is to talk about it, which is why we talk about it on the podcast. And, you know, we do our part or try to do our part by educating our law enforcement partners, the medical community and our community partners about the importance of trauma-informed investigations of working as a team, especially in sexual assault cases. And and so I think over the years, we've sold them on the, the really big importance of working together towards this common goal of justice. That's exactly right. That's why we take the time to reach out and talk to all of our partners about why trauma-informed investigations are so important. We constantly educate ourselves. And one of the videos that we love so much is a great tool and a resource. And it's not just because we love a good accent, but we do have a clip talking about trauma-informed investigations. A traumatized person's brain is protecting them. But that normal human response of self-protection can get in the way of evidence gathering. The U.S. military has developed new trauma-informed interviewing techniques that you can use to work around this. Research shows that if someone seems vacant, they could be distracted by their traumatic memories. Try to ground them by asking a simple, non-patronizing question such as, Are you thirsty? Do you want a glass of water? This can help bring them back to the here and now. Don't expect a logical, linear story. Ask, what can you recall just now? Find out what the victim physically felt or saw. Working this way, from the instinctive sensory parts towards the logical parts of the brain, 
you'll get more results. You know, we really like that clip and we're going to put it in the notes because it's, it's a little bit of longer video, but it's really, I think, important one to watch because it, it talks about what the brain does in, in traumatic events. That's all the time we have this week. Thank you so much for joining us on No Gray Zone Podcast. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe. And you can also find us on social media, No Gray Zone RRC on Instagram or Twitter and No Gray Zone on Facebook. And tune in next week when we focus on sexual assault forensic exams. There are no excuses when it comes to sexual assault or not having the right response when it comes to sexual harassment. Thank you for listening. This has been a No Gray Zone podcast. I'm just good at caring too much. I'm just good at caring too much. Is it too much to ask that you?